Uh, we've been working through a series over the past uh, couple months here where we've been working through the book of Philippians, a letter that Paul writes to a group of people who desperately needed the grace of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ had been faithful to them. Uh, we read about their story earlier in the book of Acts when they come to Christ. You have the story of the Philippian jailer. We have the story of a young slave girl. We have the story of a woman named Lydia. Three people who were very diverse, but they were all dependent on the grace of Jesus Christ. And today we can relate very well to them. So today we're in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, and this is what we read. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. About a year ago, I had the privilege of playing in a golf tournament at a really nice golf course in Easley, South Carolina. Now, you should know that since that golf tournament, I have played a grand total of two times. What that basically means is that I don't play often enough to be good. So if I'm going to put a team in a tournament, the best thing that I can do is to surround myself with other people that are much better than me. I told you guys last week that I am very competitive, but I also just told you I'm not very good at golf. So if I play and I'm not very good and I still want to be competitive, I need to surround myself with other people. So I picked guys to join me whom I knew were much better than myself. I think we ended up finishing fourth out of about 20 teams, which was good. But that being said, that competitiveness just drives me crazy because I wanted so much to be able to win. In order for us to be competitive, I had to, first of all, be honest with myself, realizing I'm not as good as I think that I am. But I also needed to be intentional to surround myself with others who could actually make the team even better. The same is true when it comes to our Christian faith. We've talked over the past several weeks about the Apostle Paul and his journey. We know that he moved from a life that was in contrast, even opposition to Christ, to becoming one of the greatest missionaries of all time. Along the way, he would lead many thousands of people into the grace of Jesus Christ. But it wasn't always an easy journey for him. In fact, it was quite difficult. This is the same guy who so often would be beaten and arrested for his faith. This is the same guy who knew prosperity and success prior to his encounter with Jesus Christ, yet he gave all of it up for the sake of Christ. It wasn't necessarily an easy journey, but it was a journey that was worth fighting. It was a journey that was worth taking. I've often thought of the story of um, the, uh, the, the story where Jesus is walking on the water and the disciples are in the boat. And as they're sitting in the boat, they see this amazing thing. Their first thing that they think is it's a ghost. They don't know what to think. They're scared. And somehow it clicks. Maybe it's because it's just something they realize this is Jesus. And all of a sudden they're excited about it. 
And everybody enjoys what they're seeing. You almost picture these guys cheering for what they're seeing because this is something unusual. And then Peter says something unique. He says, Jesus, call to me and I will come to you out on the water. And Peter gets out of the boat at Jesus's invitation and he begins to walk on the water as well. And as he's walking on the water, he had to think to himself, this is amazing. I've never done it. He's been a fisherman all his life. He's probably fallen overboard, but he's never walked on water before. And suddenly he becomes so focused on everything else that's going on around him, the wind and the waves. And we're told that he begins to sink. And all of a sudden, Peter wants back inside the boat. He was excited to get out there. He was excited to go and to do this great thing that was so unique. But the moment things got a little bit rough, he wanted back in the boat. And I wonder if at times maybe we haven't done the same thing. Where God has given us the opportunity to go and to do great things. But the moment that things get rough, we begin to want back in the boat. Here you have the Apostle Paul. The wind and the waves have been strong. Nobody would say that his journey was easy, but his journey was always worth it. It was always something he could celebrate. In spite of all the sacrifice and trials, Paul still was not a finished product. His declaration here is that he has not already obtained all of this. He hasn't yet achieved his goal. And of course, there's no sense of contentment with where he is. He's still pressing on. He's straining forward, straining toward what is ahead and all of the other stuff that he talks about here in this passage. But there's one other thing, and this is where I kind of want to start today. It's kind of unusual because I'm going to start with the last half of this passage. Everything through verse 14 describes Paul's individual journey, his effort, his unwillingness to give up. But in verses 15 and 16, we see that it's not just about Paul. His verbiage changes. He goes from I and me to we and us. He says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. All of us. This is a plural term. And then in verse 16, he adds, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Know that we are not on this journey alone. If we are to become victorious, then we will absolutely need others along the way. And although it may feel good to surround ourselves with people who are maybe weaker than us, where we get that feeling of, I'm the most spiritual person in the room, that's dumb. True success will come as we find those who make us better. It's what ought to happen in marriages. Husbands and wives who push each other and encourage each other and try to help each one become better than what they would be independent on their own. We need people who have the same passion, those who have a good track record, those who have, uh, have demonstrated spiritual growth in their life already, those who can help us in the areas where we are not yet strong. Who knows, maybe we'll even be able to help some of them sometime as well. The point is that if we are going to win this race, we are going to need to identify other good example type of people who can make us better. 
By the way, this isn't a new idea for us. Actually, we see it often in the scriptures. We see it in some of the mutual, some of the mentoring relationships in the Old and New Testament. I'll give you a few examples of it. You have the relationship between Moses and Joshua. Moses would mentor Joshua for 40 years while they walked through the deserts going to the promised land. For 40 years, Joshua would serve as the right-hand man for Moses. And then when the time came for Moses to yield, for Moses to no longer lead the people, Joshua would be ready. Why? Because he had already been mentored by someone else. You have the relationship between Elijah and Elisha. We have no idea how long that mentoring relationship would last. We know that there comes a point where Elisha is very much aware Elijah is about to be taken away. And Elisha prays. He basically is asking for this thing. Elijah says to him, what is it that you would have from me? What can I give to you? He says, I want a double portion of the spirit which you have. Well, how did he know the spirit that Elijah had? He knew it because he had walked alongside him already. He had basically become his partner in ministry for however long that period of time was. He had been mentored by him. And by the way, he would see Elijah taken up into heaven and he would receive that double portion of his spirit that he had been seeking. The relationship between Paul and Timothy. Paul was basically a spiritual father to Timothy. In fact, in 1 Timothy, Paul actually refers to him as his son in the faith. Paul would mentor Timothy. He would walk alongside him, show him this is what ministry is about. This is what it means to be able to follow Christ. This is what it looks like when you're a child of God. And what an incredible example Paul probably would have been for Timothy probably one that most of us don't even know existed, was the mentoring relationship between Mark and Peter. We hear about Paul a lot and the people he mentored, Timothy and Titus and several of the others, even Barnabas and Silas. There was an incredible relationship between Mark and Peter. Mark's name, as he's introduced to us in Acts, is actually John Mark. He's the one who initially would travel with Paul and Barnabas on Paul's first missionary journey. But according to Acts chapter 15, he would also become an incredible source of disagreement. When it came time for Paul's second missionary journey, Paul wants nothing to do with John Mark. Barnabas wants to bring him. Paul says, no, absolutely not. We're told that the reason was because of bitterness over John Mark's abandoning them when they had traveled the first time. Yet John Mark would go through a significant journey of transformation. First, following the division of Paul and Barnabas, he would travel with Barnabas and Paul, I'm sorry, and then Barnabas and John Mark would work together. Then he would become somewhat of a companion to Peter. In fact, most biblical historians believe that much of what we read in the gospel of Mark was likely gleaned from the friendship that he had with Peter. And when all was said and done, Mark, or John Mark, changes. We're told that as Paul neared the end of his life, in 2 Timothy, he goes so far as to request various items and even John Mark's presence. Maybe that was just because Paul was getting old. Maybe time had kind of eased the pain and the frustration that was there. And maybe Paul was the one who had been changed. Or maybe John Mark simply grew up 
And he didn't want to abandon anybody. But here Paul, as he says, I want him, he would be an encouragement to me. Maybe it was because John Mark had grown up. Or the idea that I think that is more likely. Maybe that mentoring relationship between Peter and Mark had helped to transform everything about who John Mark was. I want to share with you my experience with mentoring. I came to Sue as what I would define as a baby Christian. I'd grown up in the church and I had great examples of what it meant to be a child of God, but the reality was I was spiritually immature. One of the best things that ever happened to me was a relationship that developed immediately upon arriving at Southern Wesleyan. It was with a young man. His name was Bob. He would eventually become my roommate and my best friend. We were actually from the same state. He was from as far away from me as possible and still live in the state. We lived in the very northern tip of Virginia, basically right next to Washington, D.C. He lived in Galax, Virginia. I think it was about five and a half hour drive between our houses. It was a long way. Even though we were from the same place, it wasn't really the same place. We were both on the same journey together. We were both trying to figure out what God had for us, and we would both end up in full-time Christian ministry. We would both end up pushing each other along this journey all of the way through, choosing never to give up. Unfortunately, I've seen many of our peers, students who were on this journey with us, who today are no longer on the journey. They have taken significant detours in ministry. Many of them are no longer serving in ministry, yet I believe that the mutual mentoring relationship that existed between myself and Bob has been one of the factors that has kept he and I on the right track. I want to challenge you this morning in two ways, specifically regarding this issue of surrounding yourself with others. The first thing I want to challenge you to do is to find someone that you trust and respect who can walk alongside you in this journey. Every one of us needs somebody else who can come alongside us. And when we begin to struggle, they are there to help us continue the journey. Every one of us needs someone else who will hold us accountable. Someone else who will simply love on us and ask us the more difficult questions that nobody else wants to ask because everyone else is worried about hurting your feelings and they care about your feelings, but you need someone who cares about your feelings but cares about your soul more than anything else. I want to challenge each of you to identify someone in your life who can kind of serve as your partner in ministry. I know you guys are saying, but I'm married. I already got a wife. I already got a husband. And they walk alongside me. I'm telling you, there is great value in having someone outside of your marital relationship who will come alongside you and say, hey, you're not doing everything that you're supposed to do in the body of Christ. What if the thing that you're not doing is in relationship to your spouse? It's nice to have somebody on the outside who has the guts and the love to be able to come to you and say, You need to change the actions that you're doing. The second challenge that comes with this, it's not just you finding someone who will walk alongside you and challenge you and encourage you. I want to challenge every person in this room to find someone whom you can pour into, helping them reach the finish line. 
Not just about you getting there. That's not what this is about. This is about you making sure that the people in your life, that they have the support as well, so that as they walk this journey, they can walk in victory just as you can. We were not intended to be by ourselves. We were intended to be a part of a family. As a family, we ought to be challenging each other and encouraging each other. So the two things there you're supposed to do, one is find someone who will walk alongside you but then you find someone that you can walk alongside as well. You know, in Paul's case, we see that this incredibly godly man has reached a point where there is discontentment. By the way, when we think of discontentment, we think of something negative, but I don't mean in any negative way. It doesn't mean that he regretted what he was doing for God. He just wanted to be better at what he was doing for God. He just realized that he wasn't yet a finished product. What he had was something called holy discontentment. That's when you want to be even more like Christ today than you were yesterday, and even more like Christ tomorrow than you are today. Well, Paul identifies five things that are helpful in addressing this holy discontentment. I want to look at those just for a moment. The first one is this, and I'll probably spend more time on this one than the other four, but this is a big deal. He talks about forgetting what lies behind. This is no disrespect to our past. We should celebrate the past. A little bit less than a month from now, this church will celebrate our 100th year anniversary. On October 22nd, I believe, or 23rd. It's coming up. As we celebrate this, this is a great opportunity for us to look back at the past. 100 years is a long time. There's been a lot of people who have come to Christ during that time period. There have been a lot of people who have been sent out as missionaries during that time period, all from within this church. We have a great reason to celebrate. This is not so much about us not being able to celebrate the past. In fact, God's Word gives us great examples where you're called to remember, called to celebrate. Uh, probably the easiest example for me is when, the, when Joshua takes the Israelites across the Jordan River, and he tells them, Take 12 stones, one, from, one for each of the tribes of Israel. Take 12 stones from the middle of the river while it is dried up. Grab that stone, carry it to the other side, and then we will set up a memorial. And they set up a memorial to remind the people so that generations down the road, when your children and your grandchildren ask what that's for, you can tell them this is the place where God parted the water. He dried up the, the river so that we could pass through on dry ground. Remembering is actually a good thing. However, it is possible that remembering can become a stumbling block. What Paul is saying is that I want you to forget anything behind you that might rob you of your pursuit of Jesus Christ. These may be good things. They may be bad things. Think about some of the bad things. Sometimes our past can be something that we glamorize. We can take the past and almost brag about the amount of sin that we've participated in in the past. I've actually sat with individuals who are children of God, but they begin to tell their old, we call them war stories. They begin to tell their war stories and one individual has to outdo the other one. Because, wow, that sounds really bad. I can't believe you did that. Well, listen to what I did. 
And there's almost this sense of, I want my sin to be worse than somebody else's. By the way, there is a delicate balance within that because I think that there is a reason for us to celebrate the fact that God removed us from a sinful lifestyle. But it is possible for us to reach a point where we almost brag about the fact that I did all this sin and basically I got away with it. It's a very dangerous thing. And I got to tell you, if your past, if it involves those things, it's not really something that we must brag about, but rather we must recognize that it is the grace of Jesus Christ that has us moving forward. I mentioned my roommate to you. One of the things that I still remember is a conversation we had uh, not long after we got uh, here to Southern Wesleyan University, and he was talking about his testimony. He said, you know, I don't really have a, a great testimony. He said, I never did drugs, never drank alcohol or anything like that. I don't really have some great testimony. And I remember as soon as he said I thought, are you serious? You have an incredible testimony because God kept you from those things. It is possible for us to reach a point where we almost magnify one individual's testimony just because there were certain sins that he or she did. When in reality, it doesn't matter which sin it is. All sin is the same in God's eyes. The wages of sin, whether great or small, is still death. And we all need the grace of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how big it was. I was a sinner and God removed that sin and he gave me the opportunity to be redeemed. Another issue that arises sometimes out of remembering the negative is the inability that some of us have to forgive ourselves. There are things that we did and we look at and we can't believe that we would have allowed ourselves to do such things because they're terrible things. I'm going to tell you within this issue is an incredible problem of pride. And our inability to forgive ourselves of the past, we assume that we are the one person who is too much of a problem for Jesus. We can't forgive ourselves, and we almost assume that if we can't forgive ourselves, then God couldn't forgive us either. We're the one nut that Jesus can't crack. We've got the one situation which the cross of Jesus Christ is inadequate to fix. I want you to know that the moment you confess your sin to Jesus Christ, he tells us that he forgives us of that sin, never to hold it against us again. It may not be the worst sin, may not be the smallest sin. When it comes down to it, it's irrelevant what sin it was. Sometimes we're too busy looking back at our past to move forward. We're filled with regret and shame and we can't let go of it. In regard to the good, sometimes forgetting the past, I'm going to tell you, if your best days are behind you, something is wrong. When you look to the past and you celebrate the miraculous work that God did and you see the revival that he brought in your spirit, that ought to be a great thing. But understand that that's not just something from the past. God desires to move in your life today. Just as he extended grace in the midst of a difficult situation 10, 20, 30 years ago, he still desires to offer that same grace today. Often we don't move forward with the grace that God has for today and tomorrow because we're so focused on the things that happened way back then. Again, is there anything wrong with celebrating the work that occurred 10 years ago, 20 years ago? No. But if that keeps us 
from genuinely being able to seek the grace of God today and tomorrow, then something is wrong. The victory of yesterday was given to you by the grace of yesterday. Today comes with a grace of its own. In other words, the same God that gave you grace yesterday, he wants to give you grace today. So if we're not looking back, the alternative is to strain forward to what lies ahead. This is the second thing that Paul mentions here. To strain forward to what lies ahead. This is basically a recognition of something greater that lies ahead for us. Not necessarily heaven, I will say, but a relationship with Christ. There have been far too many times that we have almost pictured this Christianity thing about only getting to heaven. And I will tell you, I look forward to heaven. Heaven's going to be an amazing experience for us. It's going to be a place where there is no sickness, no death. There's going to be no sin, not even a temptation to sin. What an incredible place heaven will be. But Christianity is not about getting into the, the place we call heaven. Actually, it is about getting into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. When God created humanity, he created humanity to coexist with him, to dwell with him, not necessarily in a place called heaven. It didn't matter where it was. They were in the garden together and God walked and he talked with Adam and Eve and they had fellowship together. It didn't matter whether they were in heaven or they were on earth. What matters was they were in the presence of a holy God. And in the same way, that's what God desires for us. And I strain forward for it. I want to be able to take hold of this. I press on toward the goal. It means to not give up. There will be days that the journey feels easy. There will be days when everything seems to just fall into place. But then you know there will be other days. In those moments, I want to encourage you, do not give up. Do not give up regardless of how difficult the day will be. I will tell you that some days I win. Sometimes I lose. Sometimes I fall down. Actually, this morning I was coming down those steps right over there. And as I was walking down those steps, you know, you're looking around at everything else and you're not really paying attention the way you should. And I thought I was already at the bottom step. I wasn't. Just about half a second later, I was. <laughs> I ended up falling to the ground. And as soon as I did, I did what everybody else does. I looked around to make sure nobody else saw me. <laughs> Because that's the one thing you, you don't want is for someone else to know that maybe you've fallen or maybe you, you could have gotten hurt because it's a little bit embarrassing. But the reality is all of us will have those difficult days where things don't go the way we want them to. And when those days come, we continue to press on. We get up and we keep moving forward because the journey isn't over. We don't have time to sit around and Feel sorry for ourselves. Get up and go. As you stay the course, Paul suggests that we should think a specific way. In his statement, he's talking about basically a change of mindset. He's saying that it's possible, possible to become so different from the way we used to be that we don't even think the same way. What a beautiful thought that is. You know, I was never 
what most of you would define as a really bad person. I've never killed anybody. I've never sexually assaulted anybody. I've never been a drug addict. I've never been a drug dealer. Never even smoked a cigarette. But I confess that my mind could go a million miles an hour and it wasn't always in the right direction. To think that God could change the way I think is an awesome thing. There may be times that you struggle with your mind. The things that, the temptations that come in there and the rabbit trails that you end up going down. What a blessing to know that God can take that even your mind, and he can fix it on something that is good and holy and righteous. I would add that if God didn't change the way I think, then there's no way that I could do the last thing that Paul lists here. He encourages us to hold true to what we have already attained. What he means is we can't go back. We can't go back to the old lifestyle that only led to death. Going back to the old lifestyle will still lead to death. You'll just be more miserable doing it. Because now you know what it's like to walk in the grace and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The last thing that I want to share with you today is this. While we must experience a sense of holy discontentment, we must strive for excellence on this journey. We must always depend upon the grace of Jesus Christ if we are to win this race. It's good that you push forward. It's good that you strain toward the goal. You want to win the prize. It's good that you put this incredible effort into doing what God wants you to do. But I'm going to tell you, your effort will never, ever be enough. You will need his grace we see this in a few passages that Paul writes. 1 Timothy 4, verse 7 to 10, he says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. In other words, he's saying, don't play games, don't play around, push on, press on. Train yourself for godliness. And in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 23 to 27, he says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessing. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly, I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This passage, every time I read it, it reminds me of Rocky. In one of the movies where he's sitting there, he's punching a bag and he's fighting. And the next thing you know, you've got this workout scene where he's running through the streets of Philadelphia and then up these stairs and he gets to the top and he's cheering. He's not in this battle to lose it. He's in it to win. And he's going to do whatever it takes to be able to win. 
but it has to be more than just effort. We also need grace and faith. Understand that grace and faith are not opposed to hard work. Did you hear that? You can still have grace and you can still depend on your faith in Jesus Christ and still work hard. It's not like you can't blend those two together. At times, we've almost given this idea that we ought to depend more on grace. It's not about how much work you put into it. It's the grace God has given. And then on the other side of it, we've acted like this is all about us doing this, 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 and this. And if we keep our list of do's and don'ts, then we're good with God. When in reality, we need both the grace, the faith, and the hard work mixed together. It's not as if you can separate the two. Faith without works is what? It's dead. You expect individuals to put those two together, the works and the faith. They go together as one. Far too many of us have said, I prayed some prayer and I received God's grace. But then we've never put any work into actually growing in that grace, working out our salvation. That's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer refers to that type of grace as a cheap grace. Consider the words of John Calvin as he said this, we are saved through faith alone, not by faith that is alone. His point is that we need both faith and hard work. I've challenged you already in regard to your relationships. Identify someone that you can pour into. Identify someone who can pour into you. Let me challenge you today. If you are one of those who you would look and say, I have put my faith in Jesus Christ. I am dependent upon his grace. But I've been on cruise control and I've just kind of been coasting, hoping that his grace would make up the difference. Maybe today is the day that you need to begin the hard work that comes along with winning the race. Or maybe you have been so self-righteous. I don't mean that to be negative toward you, but you have worked so hard to make sure that you are that man or the woman of God that you're supposed to be. But as you have done so, you have failed to realize how much you are dependent on His grace to make up for the difference when you do fall short. Maybe today is the day that you put your faith truly in Him. I'm not saying to stop working hard. That's a good thing. Blend them. What I'm saying is you need both. I'm going to ask you if you would to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we recognize our need for you. We are imperfect people. We are people that we fall short in so many ways, but we are dependent on you to make us right. Lord, I pray, first of all, if there be one here that doesn't know you, that right now at this moment, that they would surrender their lives to you, realizing that you are their only hope. Maybe they've been walking this journey, and it's almost like a, uh, an incomplete journey where they've been talking about a grace that they experienced 10, 20 years ago, but they've not been growing in that grace ever since. Or maybe it's an individual who they've been in the church all their lives and they've worked hard to be good people only to realize that their goodness still is not enough. Lord, I pray right now for your forgiveness of sins. And I pray that you would make us whole and make us complete. Help us to blend 
the faith that is required with the hard work that's also required. Help us to be the people that you created us to be. But I pray that you would open up doors for relationships so that we can push one another and encourage each other to walk this journey as one that is truly united. To walk this journey as those who will win. Pray right now that there would be people that would come to our minds. That you would challenge us to go to those individuals and seek out their accountability, their support, their encouragement. Pray that on the other side of that, that there would be others that you would bring to our mind right now and that you would give us such a hunger to pour into them, to love on them, and to help them on this journey as well. Lord, I pray right now that you would use each individual here to help make the people around us victorious. Lord, we give you praise for what you're going to do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. As I wrap up this morning, I just want to encourage each of you I'm not going to ask you to come back and report to me that you went to somebody. I do want you guys to go and to be used by God. I believe wholeheartedly that you are here for a reason. And there's somebody in your life that needs you to pour into them so that they can walk in victory. Maybe for you, you don't feel adequate to do that today. Maybe you need someone to walk alongside you. And if that's the case... Identify somebody right now who can walk alongside you. Come to me. Come to someone else that you trust or respect. Someone else that they will push you. They care about you. They love you. Together, we can win this race. And I believe God will make that possible if we'll truly seek him. Thank you so much for being with us. And go in peace.